Um, I've got a really good friend here tonight. It's Pastor Mike Field. He's from Hope Church in Charlotte. Their church just turned 13 years old. Come on. So you know they need prayer because they've got a teenager now. What in the world? And when we got started at the gathering, we just celebrated 10 years. Um, I remember talking to Pastor Mike and just saying, like, hey, can you help us out? And he was like, sure, we're three. <laughs> you know, but I was like, hey, you're three years further down the road. So he has shared so much. He's an overseer at the gathering. We so appreciate what you bring to our church, and we appreciate what you're bringing to us tonight. Can you give Pastor Mike a humongous Albemarle welcome? We'll see. We'll see. Thank you. Wow, is this not a great setting to worship God in? Amen? You know, it takes me back. I felt like I was in the old camp days for a minute there. You know, back when we, we had no screens, we had nothing else, the songs were simple. We bring the sacrifice. I mean, it's all we had, right? But you know what? God was there. God met us. God changed our lives. And uh, it really is an honor to be able to be with you. This is for Denise and my wife Denise is over here. This is our fourth day of encounter because, Hope, we just finished our encounter services yesterday morning. So we're a little after, we're a little encounter afterburn a little bit, and uh, I was praying today, like God, I need a little more uh, oomph from you and from the Holy Spirit to get back up and be ready to see what you're going to do tonight in Albemarle. I feel like we've already been ministered to, Amen. We've seen lives already changed right here at the altar. I know for our family, we appreciate the prayers. Uh, we, as pastors, we're not immune. Our families get under attack in ways we, we can't even dream up. But you know what? God knows, God hears, and God answers prayer. And we're thankful for his goodness in our lives. I appreciate Pastor Paul and, and Wendy. They have been great friends to us. And, you know, when you're church planters, there's a natural bond because there's only so many crazy people in the kingdom of God that are willing to do this and step out in the middle of nothing and uh, ask people to join you on a vision they can't see, but you say, trust me, I'll get you to the end. And uh, we just thank God at 13. We're just a bunch of moody, broody teenagers at Hope now, and it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what God does going forward. You know, this is a I forget how many times. I guess I've, this is my second or third time in encounters here at the gathering. And I only have one bone pick to, to pick with you, Paul, and that's this. It seems like I always follow Terry Fur. It's not fair. It, it's just not. It's like, let's bring the practical pastor guy in after her, you know, because, you know, he'll help us out with the viewpoints. Maybe we'll get it or not, you know. But, uh, no, I love Terry. We've known her for a long time, and what a great teacher of God's word. And, you know, the way I figure it, Paul, is this. It's like two of four, right? So, like, I'm right before halftime. So if it doesn't go well, you can make adjustments, and the next few nights will be awesome. I, I trust that. But, guys, I appreciate this, and I, I know this about you at the gathering. You love your pastor. You love your pastor, amen? And you honor your pastor. And if you don't do that, can I tell you something? God's not going to bless you. I'm just speaking as a pastor to pastors. God's, God's lifted a gift among you. I, I, I've watched their lives. I've been among them. I get, to, I get to serve. Well, for the last five years, I've served the Charlotte region at 39 churches. I got to serve and meet and work with pastors. Now I'm over the entire state, and I, I just keep getting into their lives and seeing God do amazing things. And I find this. Churches sometimes don't know what they have. And if we're not careful, we take for granted. And we don't recognize God's blessing every day, day in, day out, of people that pray for you, love for you, have sacrificed for you, and we're not going to stop till Jesus comes back. So would you give them a great hand tonight as your pastors on this 10th birthday celebration? Amen. Come on. You can do better than that. Lift it up. Lift it up. Hey, tonight, however you have the Word of God, if you would find the book of Acts, turn to the book of Acts chapter 7. We're going to be in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. Uh, how many know we've been in a little crazy time lately? Can you agree with that? Uniqueness of seasons, right? I was talking to your pastor this morning. He said, I preached on roller coasters this morning. And, and you know, pastors, we live in metaphors. And so my mind just started running. I'm like, uh, you know, we've run out of metaphors to describe what we've all been through in the last 19, 20 months of our lives. And I, when he said roller coaster, I could just see it. It's like, you know, 
I don't know about you. I loved roller coasters when I was younger. As I've gotten older, I endure roller coasters. It's just a get me to the end. And I know what it is when you finally come down that last hill, and you know you kind of hit the flat track, and it's kind of click, 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 click. And you're looking, and there's the teenager you wouldn't trust with your car, but yet you trusted him on a roller coaster. And, uh, and you're waiting for them to come, for him to push a button, and for the, the safety harness to release so you can get out. And thank God I, I made it through. In this last 20 months, we were almost there in August. We were almost there in September. I could see it. He's ready to punch the button, and he only smiled and said, no, here we go again. And we're right back up on the roller coaster. And you know what? That's okay. Because God sees us, God knows us, and God knows exactly what he wants to do. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a crazy time in the early church. I want to talk to you about when God takes something that seems to be a setback, but it's actually a set up for what he wants to do in his kingdom through you and I. You see, churches, we would go through seasons, and in the early church in the book of Acts, they were going through this incredible growth. I mean, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, and in and, and 3,000 get to be saved. I don't know about you, Paul. I've never had that experience in my life. I would love to have that, but, you know, it was amazing outpouring. They were baptizing people left and right, and then it just continued to grow to the point that, that the apostles needed some help. And so they established a leather layer of leadership that was so critical to their ministry, and they called them deacons. And one of those deacons was a young man named Stephen. Maybe you're familiar with his story. But in Acts chapter 6, I'll go back there for just a little bit, to, and then we're going to get into the main story. It describes Stephen as a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. But opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. I love this. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Come on, that's, that's a leader in the local church right there. Full of the Holy Spirit. Unable to be talked down away from the truth of the gospel. We see this man who is standing up. He's been asked to serve the widows. You say, in, in our day and time, we'd say, well, he's a little too gifted for that, isn't he? I mean, after all, we, we want to be known for our gifts. Can I tell you, you need the Holy Spirit's gift to serve anybody. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can do what? Help me out here. Nothing. So we see Stephen here, and he's, he's come with this great love for Jesus, this great ministry of service, but now he's being opposed by the religious leaders. And their basic claim was this, makes no sense. Their basic claim was that these Jesus followers were going to tear down the temple, and that they hated Moses, and they hated the law. And it got so heated, they, they only brought Stephen before the Sanhedrin in, verse, in chapter 7. It's, these, it's the, the high court, so to speak, of the church. And in Acts chapter 7, he was standing before the Sanhedrin, and they asked him a question. They said, are these accusations true? And for the next 51 verses in Acts chapter 7, and we are not going to read that tonight, or you'll be like Eutychus and fall out of your chair and die. Uh, we're going we're gonna to synopsis it here a little bit. For the next 51 verses... He told them the history of their people. He told them the history of the Old Testament of God's faithfulness. He told them the history of what they'd seen and known and were taught from the time they were born. But can I tell you, he wasn't teaching them a history lesson. He was setting them up by the Holy Spirit to prove to them something they needed to see, and that was simply this, that they had treated Jesus just like they treated the rest of the prophets, and they persecuted him and they rejected him, but this time they really messed up because this time they killed the Son of God. And Stephen is someone in the Bible that we look at and recognize the, the clarity of his life because he was, he was ultimately martyred for his faith. But he brought a point that was very clear to them. He said, look, you've had a long history of rejecting God's messengers and message, and now you've done it again. Here we jump into the story. Chapter 7, verse 51. He's, <laughs> this is not how you address a crowd if you want them to like you and take an offering up for you. He said, you stiff-necked people. There's no stiff-necked people in Albemarle, are there? No, they all live in Charlotte, I know, trust me. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're like your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You've received the law that was given through angels, but not have obeyed it. 
When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Father, tonight, God, I'm speaking to people, God, who know what it is, Father, to, Father, walk through some times that seem like a setback. God, we're among people, God, tonight that stand by faith in situations that we don't understand sometimes, God. But, Lord, we keep looking at you. We keep looking to you, God, and Father, we recognize, just as Stephen did, that our Savior, Jesus, is standing at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And Lord, tonight, I pray that our hearts would be open, that God, through this this simple message, God, these simple truths, God, Lord, that we will be changed forever, God. And through our change, God, this city will be changed, God. And Lord, many, many will come to know you as their Lord and their King. God, we praise you and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a verse, verse 60, that ends this chapter that is equally critical to the rest of the story. And it says this, that when he fell on his knees, he said something so critical, and we're going to bring this back toward the end of the message. He cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Sat back. Here the early church has momentum Here the early church is growing. Here the early church is growing so fast they have to add layers of leadership. And now one of their top guys is stoned out on the outskirts of the city all because he stood up for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you his setback or what they thought was a setback was really a setup. And it's a pattern that we see in scripture and it's a pattern we see in life that we need to understand because too often people who follow Christ stop in the middle of a setback and give up. Too often they stop and they begin to change their view of God or change their view of church instead of seeing that God's not finished yet, somebody. You see, there was a setback, but it really was a setup. So what I want to do tonight in the time we have is explain why this story is important. But more important than that is to explore this passage and see how it applies to us today. Because how we know God's scripture is God-breathed. And it's given to us to rebuke, to correct, and instruct every one of us in righteousness. So why is this important? First of all, I think it's, a, it's important historically. Stephen was the first martyr for Jesus Christ. He was the first one who literally gave his life because he would not back down from the claims of a resurrected Savior. He was the first one that said, you know, I don't know where this is all going, but I'm going to stand up for truth. And ultimately he saw Jesus high and lifted up. And in that moment he came to know the Lord. You see, Stephen's death and martyrdom was more than a historical fact. It was also a catalyst for the mass expansion of Christianity around the known world. From that point forward, can I tell you, the things that Jesus told the disciples to do, they began to do. They began to go into all nations making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things he commanded them, and he proved the Lord was with them to the very end. In Acts 8, verse 1, it says this, that Saul approved of their killing. And on that day, a great persecution broke out among the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You see, what looked like a, a setback, what looked like a devastating loss, was actually a set up by God for the gospel to be carried into all nations. How do we grow in that? How do we learn from a martyr's death? How do we learn from a historical lesson in Acts? Because quite honestly, most people, when they get to the story, they just kind of skim through Acts 7. But I want you to know something that's so critical. We understand tonight God's way of working among us. Here's what I want us to see tonight. Four lessons we're going to cover. Four things I want you to, to take home tonight and get a hold of in your life. And I believe if you do, they'll turn this town upside down. They'll turn your life upside down, your family upside down for Jesus Christ. And the first thing is this, and I think it's something that for, for many we, we struggle to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's simply this, that we should not be surprised if doing the right thing sometimes produces the wrong results. If doing the right thing leads to something that we didn't see coming whatsoever. Now, can I tell you, that's not really the norm for followers of Jesus, though. 
Because we serve a Savior who said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke of direction on your life is, is easy. My burden is light. But there are times, there are moments that God calls you and I into obedience. And through our obedience, it's going to lead to an outcome that we did not expect. And quite honestly, we may not have wanted but can I tell you, in the midst of those setbacks, in the midst of those seasons, we have to recognize something, that we have a choice no matter what we're doing in that moment. We have a choice that we either we're going to push away from our faith in God and we're going to insulate and isolate ourselves or we're going to press in knowing that our God is for us, our God is with us, our God is working in us and he is working through us because our God cannot be stopped. And we need to recognize in those moments that it is God that may have led us into that place where now we stand somewhere we didn't really expect to be or possibly even want to be. You see, when you find yourself in these situations, we like to, we like to call them valleys. It makes a nice metaphor, right? We like, to, we like to call them valley experiences. But can I ask you this? When you find yourself in a valley, does it mean you made the wrong turn if you were obedient to Jesus Christ? No. If you find yourself in the valley and you're obedient for G to Jesus Christ, can I tell you this? It is God that brought you into the valley and God that's going to walk you through the valley out to the other side. He says, he said, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Now, quite honestly, and this is the sad part, is that sometimes we end up in valleys of our own choosing. And it comes from our own disobedience instead of our obedience to God. And it's always interesting to me as a pastor, that's usually when we feel like we're being persecuted. Oh, we're being so persecuted. Why am I in the valley? Maybe you made a wrong choice. Maybe you followed your own will and not God's will. I don't know. But can I tell you, if God has led you there, it's not persecution. <laughs> no, it's just that pressure. Because the enemy likes to try to come in and steal and kill and destroy when we find ourselves in a place we don't want to be. The enemy likes to come in and bring confusion and deception. But there we need to recognize the spirit of truth that dwells in us, who reveals truth and reminds us of the words of Jesus and comforts us and shows us the way forward. You see, when obedience brings us into the valley, we've got to remember that God is with us. He is taking us through, and his ways are not our ways. I was taught a lesson years ago that it just really rocked my life. I was a young pastor in Waco, Texas. And I'm just going to say right now, Chip and Joanna make it look a whole lot better than it really is there. But um, trust me. But I had a young man in my church. And uh, in fact, he was uh, two sons of a great man, a friend of mine. And one son was this incredible athlete. In fact, he won the, won the Southwest Conference Championship in tennis when I was there for Texas A&M. Come on, somebody. And uh, that's where I went to school. And anyway... But the other son was born with a two-chamber heart. You had this health, and then you had this sickness. And at the age of 28, I had to bury a 28-year-old. And I remember going out to, after the funeral to the father and saying, how do, you, how do you reconcile this? And he said, Mike, if I could understand everything is about my God, then he's not my God. And I don't want a God that I can figure out or tell what to do. He said, I know this. He's with me. He's with my family. We were not turning back because we trust in the great God. You see, having a God that I totally understand and know exactly how he's going to act is like not having any God at all. It's kind of like, and I know this is a ridiculous uh, example, but it's kind of like, how many have raised a four-year-old in the house? Let me just see. Anybody? I've, we did it three times. You know, we were, after the second time, we are like, what were we thinking when the third came along? But she was awesome. But raising a four-year-old, and you're trying to can get them to obey, and if they could communicate it, they would say, I'm only going to obey my parent, my mom and dad, when I totally understand what they're trying to accomplish in this situation. Well, that's crazy. You can't. Get a four-year-old to understand what's going on in your heart and your head for them in that moment. That's when you do those things like, because I said so. Because I'm the mom. Because I'm the dad, right? But if you were honest, on a different level, we do the same thing to our God when we find ourselves in situations and places that we don't understand. It's like, you know, where the four-year-old will say, I don't know why I have to go to bed so early. We turn to God and say, I don't understand why you matter, why you care so much about my sexuality. Same principle, different situation. It's this four-year-old saying, I, I, don't, I don't understand why I have to brush my teeth every night. And you know what? I'm not going to. 
And yet often we look at God and say, I don't understand why I can't do whatever I please with my body, my money, and my life. After all, it's mine. You see, if we look at God and say, we're only going to trust you when you understand you, then we're in, we're in deep water. We're, we're in deep trouble. Because God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. In Stephen's message, he brought up these, these Old Testament figures. If you go back and read chapter 7 in your own time, that we've made into these somehow spiritual super, superheroes. But can I tell you, they were all messed up just like we're messed up. If you follow the lives of the ones he highlighted throughout his message to them, it reminds us that God regularly works through people that we would never have picked in the first place. I mean, Abraham was a heathen idol worshiper way back on the back and beyond of the desert. Moses was, Moses was impulsive. He tried to be God, and then when he finally came down to be a messenger, he couldn't even speak well. Joseph, can we just say arrogant? Come on. David, deeply, deeply flawed. But God regularly uses people we wouldn't choose. And he regularly takes us down paths and routes that we would never choose either. You see... When we find ourselves in that setback, Jesus would say, I know it looks like a wrong turn, but this is the best path for you, and it will accomplish my will if you just trust me. As a young man, one of the first scriptures I ever memorized, King James and then NIV, NLT, so it's all messed up now. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Our God doesn't change depending on your circumstance. Our God doesn't change in the middle of a setback. He's still directing our life. He's still correcting our life. He's still protecting our life. He's still perfecting our life. But we have to choose to trust him. That's why Isaiah the prophet could say, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But so often, again, when we find ourselves in setbacks, we start thinking our plans are better than God's. Then somehow we are wiser. Somehow we are more experienced. Maybe we've been down this path before. If I've learned anything about God, he doesn't always repeat himself in the same way all the time. David learned that in the armies. They would go out and say, oh, this is how God delivered us last time. They'd go do the same thing, and they'd get whipped. They're like, where's God? God said, I didn't tell you to do that again. He's a creative God. And he has uniqueness way, unique ways to lead us where he wants us to be. <laughs> I believe this, that too often we judge God way too soon. Too often we judge circumstances way too soon. Only a fool judges an artist before the painting is finished. Only a fool packs up and leaves at halftime, mad at the coach and mad at the team. And only a fool walks away from God when things don't work out the way they thought they should, when they walked in obedience after him. First thing we have to understand, when we walk in obedience, sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we think it ought. Here's the second lesson I want you to learn tonight. And that is that we need to avoid selective obedience like the plague. Avoid selective obedience like the plague. Selective obedience, if you don't understand that term, is when I pick and choose what part of God's word I like and what part of God's word I will choose to follow. I don't know if you ever heard of the Jefferson Bible, Thomas Jefferson. We kind of hold him up as this great hero of faith, our founding fathers. No, he took the Bible, and he cut out all the parts he didn't like, and then he could only read that which he did like, so he would follow that. It was called the Jefferson Bible. It's the same thing that Stephen was accusing the Jewish religious leaders of doing. He said, look, you followed the rules of God you liked, but they all pointed to the Messiah. You didn't like that, so you persecuted and you killed him. Yet selective obedience. You see, when we are selective in our obedience toward God, we turn our God into this kind of this cosmic consultant. I, I had the privilege, and I still do some consulting in, in both businesses and churches, and, and I get consulting. It, it's kind of fun because you come in, you give some advice, but you know at the end of the day it's their company, it's their family, it's their church, it's their life, and they're going to choose to follow or not follow what you ask them, but they're still going to pay you at the end of the day. Not a bad gig. But can I tell you, God doesn't do consulting. God does God. God does God. He doesn't give advice, church. He gives commands and he gives promises. 
And whenever we choose not to follow his commands and his promises, we find ourselves again where we do not want to be. We find ourselves in dead ends and detours because somehow we thought we knew better than to follow God's way. You know what happens when you get to an end of a a dead end? you got to turn around, go back, retrace your steps, and start all over again. Can I tell you, there's nothing more frustrating than to waste time. There's nothing more frustrating than to waste energy. If I'd only obeyed in the first place, I wouldn't have to go through this and go way back and start over again. But sadly, we do that spiritually. We know God's commands and promises, but we convince ourselves that our situation is different and our relationship is unique. I want you to do something nice, spiritually profound. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're really not unique. I know that may be bad theology. We are unique in God's creation. But you're not unique when it comes to obeying God's commands. Amen? Come on, right? But we do that. But God, I know you'll understand. We rationalize. God, I I know what your word says about how we handle the finances, but God, I I know it's unethical, but God, it's just business and everybody's doing it anyway. So God, please bless my business. God, I I know it talks about the tithe and generosity in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, but come on, God, my kids deserve a better house and they deserve that second soccer league and that vacation that we see all the time everybody else takes. God will understand. We find ourselves in dead ends. Because when we treat our God as a consultant, when he's a lawgiver, we end up in a dead end situation and we suffer the consequences. And sadly, many keep repeating the pattern again and again and again. You see, all those who Stephen mentioned in his sermon took some wrong turns. I mean, Abraham, what was he thinking? God did not ask him to bring his family. In fact, he said, leave your family. But he brought Lot. And you see in the word of God how well that turned out. Sarah, Abraham's wife, she hears the promise, you're going to have a baby. But when things were not looking like it was going to happen in God's way, she says, here's my handmaiden. Take her and let's just start a family there. And we are still paying the consequences of Ishmael instead of Isaac. Joseph, to all the young people in this room, sometimes you need to keep your dreams to yourself until the right time. His brothers did not appreciate the fact he told them they were going to bow down to him someday. And I have an older brother, and can I tell you, older brothers, yeah, they can take out the wrath if they need to. And they did. They threw him in a pit and sold him, and they told told his dad he died. Come on, church. They hated him. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness wandering. Why? Because he took God's plan in his own hands. He tried to be God, tried to be the Savior, and he missed the very thing God was doing. But can I tell you, to their credit, listen, to their credit, Every one of them turned back to God and got back on the right path. Every one of them turned back to God, put their obedience back in him. Oh, their disobedience led to some consequences, no doubt. It always does. But they had a heart toward God, and they turned back, and God blessed their life. Can I tell you, the the Bible is clear. When it comes to those who refuse to turn towards God and keep pursuing their own paths, keep going into the same dead ends, God is clear how he deals with that. I've always called it the dimmer switch principle. Do you know what a dimmer switch is? Maybe you have it in your house. It's when you want to set the mood in the living room. You can turn it down, or maybe it's a slide. Now it's probably on your phone, right? But it just, it controls the lights. It controls the brightness of the lights in your room. And I believe this, and the the word proves this out. When we obey the light that God has given us, in other words, when you obey, when you're a new believer, you don't know a lot of word, but, but the little bit you do know, when we obey that, guess what God does? He gives us more light. He, he turns it up. And the more we obey, he keeps turning it up more and more. And we see that principle in Proverbs 4, 18, when it says the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. We, we get that picture. It starts out a little dim, a little glow in the horizon. And yet by the, by the middle of the afternoon, it's shining so bright, sometimes we want to we see it start dimming back down. But he promised he would, he would build that up. But on the converse side of that, and this is where it gets scary, There's a whole chapter in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, that talks about a culture that thought they knew better than God. They thought they they decided to reject God and create a God in their own image, and they decided to ignore the light he had given them. And and, and, and what God did is he, he just said, go on ahead, and he turned down the light. 
until they walked in darkness to the point that now we stand in that culture today that continues to spiral down. Why? Because they continue to reject the light instead of saying, God, I will obey and I will follow. Church, we cannot be caught in selective obedience. I don't want to hear God say, go on ahead, Mike. Do it your way. Good luck. But how many knows he'll let me do that? And I've done that. And I can sit with you afterwards and tell all the scars that come when you do that. But here's the beauty of my God. But when I finally come to my senses and say, God, I was wrong. God, I was trying to make it out because I was unique. God, I was trying to make it work for me. God, I'm sorry. Can I come back your way? Oh, that light begins to grow again. That light and that beauty begins to grow again. Why? Because he loves me and he's called me and he's always going to be there ready for me to repent and return to him. You see, guys, we, we can't get caught in selective obedience. Third lesson tonight, and moving through this. God is at work even when we can't see it. Can I get a yes to that? You're going to have to help me tonight because I'm totally blinded right now. I can't, I can't tell if I'm speaking to nobody or a bunch of people. It's just black out there. So talk to me a little bit. God is at work even when we can't see it. We all know, we all know the story of Joseph, right? And, uh, you know, that, that went so poorly and he was thrown in the pit, sold. God raised him up, gets thrown into prison, gets accused of rape, all this kind of craziness. But at the end of the days, the end of his story, his family, his brothers are blessed because, again, he always sought God. And he made this incredible statement in Genesis 50, verse 20, where he said, You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, we don't want a setback like Joseph. But it was actually a setup for the glory of God to be known and for the people of Israel to be established and to grow and, and be a blessing to nations. You see, we have a God who is true to his promises and is still working even when we don't see the immediate results or, or the results we wanted in our obedience. I found it not strange at all, Paul, your call to pray for families tonight. Thank you for that. Sometimes we obey and obey and obey, and the things we cannot control cause our hearts to break. But how many know God is still working in the generations that come after us? He is still working in our children. He's still working on our children. And I say yes and amen to that tonight, don't you? Why? Because our God is working even we don't see it or we don't get the results we wanted in our obedience. Now, I know the church camps out in Romans 8, 28. How many love that verse? I mean, probably on a coffee cup, mug, T-shirt, something. Because it says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, there's a lot of comfort in that verse, isn't there? But we typically read it as this. We read it as somehow saying in everything that happens, God has a reason for allowing that to happen. But look at the promise. The promise says in all things God works for the good. He never calls all things good, does he? Yet... No matter how bad things are in life, no matter what the enemy has brought against me, can I tell you, God is in the midst of your life working for your good. He didn't need the situation. He may not have created the situation, but he has promised to be there in the midst of it saying, because you're mine, I'm going to bring good through this. Again, not saying that bad things are good. If I, if I had to do a class, I'm looking over here because Paul's somewhere over there in the darkness. If I had to do a class, and I had to do a class for a church one day, I'd probably do a class of things not to say to people during bad times. Because we say stupid things to people in bad times. I've had to bury children over the years. I've been pastoring for 32 years now. God must have needed another angel. Slap. I want to come across the casket and take them down. What? That's the God you served that loved you so much he killed your kids he needed another angel? Come on. What Bible are you reading out of? Or, <laughs> they're in a better place. So, we're still here. You see, guys, it's not that our obedience is going to keep us out of hard places. 
It's turning our attention to recognize in those hard places God has promised he will never leave us. He's promised he's working something through that. He didn't need it. He didn't cause it. But he has made a promise that he will always come through on our behalf. Listen, I watched my mom go through the the, the long goodbye of eight years of Alzheimer's. There's nothing good in that. But I sense God all along. And I know that through her life, many lives were changed. Why? Because our God says, I'll bring good through situations. Even if I don't cause them, even if I don't need them. But I will say to you, I will do it. You know, that promise is so critical. But again, so many people claim it that have no right to claim it. Oh, wait a minute. You mean we, we don't get to claim that verse? Well, yeah, you do. If. See, when it comes to the Bible, you know, when, they, when you read contracts, I was reading a long contract today, they always say, be sure and read the fine print, right? Because there's always something hidden in the fine print. When it comes to the Bible, no, you don't have to read the fine print. Just read the giant print that is right there. Because it makes it very clear two conditions of that promise in your life. He says, we know that all things God works for the good of those who what? Love him and have been called according to his purpose. So it's very simple. If we love God and we are part of God's family, we can claim that promise. Well, how do you know you love God? Oh, because when they sing oceans, I cry. Oh, when he hits that high note, man, I just I feel something here. No. That, that's how you figure out that you have hormones. That's how you figure out you have emotions. It doesn't mean you love God. There's a lot of people love God during worship service but don't like him when he's, when he's when the word's getting preached and all of a sudden their toes are getting stepped on because they've been kind of living it their way. You see, he says this in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. If I want to hold him to that promise, I've got to be living in obedience, not perfect obedience. But when I know what he wants, I do what he wants and not my way. That's what it means to love God. Now, look, I may struggle in some areas. We all do, but I choose to live in obedience, and I choose to let the Holy Spirit correct me. And when I sense that, I get in the right lane. Why? Because I love my God. But the problem is, if I'm a Christian, and I have a major area of my life that I will not submit to God's lordship, in other words, leave me alone, God, leave me alone, church, then I have no right to claim that promise. I may say I love God, but I've really chosen to keep him out of the areas of my life. Then I'm saying to him, God, I really don't love you because obedience is the focus of that. But there's a second condition. He says, if you're part of his family. In our world, it's a very common thought, and it's a wrong thought. We're all God's children. No, we're all created in God's image. But you become part of his family the day you bow the knee and you say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, I will serve you. I believe in the resurrected Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave that I may have life. We're all made in the image of God. We all have incredible value, even God's enemies, which we're going to come to in just a moment. But it's only those who choose to submit their lives that lordship and following obedience can stand in that promise. Here's kind of the breakdown. When I, be, when I move beyond trying to live a moral life and calling it Christianity and truly give God control of my life, then he begins to transform me from the inside out. And he begins working his good into every circumstance in my life, even the worst circumstances. I put it this way. Everything does happen for a reason just not always the reason we think you see great faith is not measured when everything's always going great great faith is not measured in the middle of the song great faith is not measured on the mountaintop great faith is measured by what I do when obedience doesn't seem to be working see each of these characters I mentioned they kept turning back to God, and he worked in their lives. Stephen's martyrdom seemed to be a horrific setback, but it literally was a catalyst for the expansion of the church to the known world. And it's the same in you and I. God, I, I have no idea why this is happening. <laughs> you ever prayed that? My neighbors thought I was crazy, Paul, when we were starting Hope Church. Because there were days I'd walk out, and I would just stand in my backyard and go, God, really? Really? Come on. And I'd walk back in the house. And I could just hear them, isn't that the preacher? Isn't that the pastor? Look, there are times in our obedience. Did God call us to start a church? Yes. Did he call us to go into a city? Yes. Did God call us to give everything to that? Yes. Did he say our path would be easy? No. But did he say he would be with us there and see us through? Yes. And that's why we can stand on a 10th birthday and a 13th birthday and say, our God is faithful. No matter what. 
We obey. Sometimes it doesn't go exactly the way we think it's going to go. Can I tell you, there's not a pastor on this earth today that is standing on this side of these last 20 months that thought they'd be rebuilding their church again because people just left. And people that won't show up, but they're on Facebook everywhere going everywhere. Pastor, we're just scared to come. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sorry. I'm tired of being nice. Give me a break. We obey. We do what we know to do. And we've got to trust God in the midst of it. I believe we're in the, one of the greatest resets in the kingdom of God in my generation. I believe there's a church rising up that says, you know what? We've had the chance to walk away, but we said no. We had a chance to get all political. We said no. We had a chance to hate on people that don't look or, look or like or believe what we like or whatever. And we said no because we are representatives of Jesus Christ. And he died for us. And we're willing to lay our lives down for the people that have not yet received the gift we've received. It's time for a church to rise up. It's time for a church to take the setback and turn it to a setup. You see, God is still at work, and he's true to his promises. We've been living in a season of disappointment, disillusionment, and despair. But can I tell you, God's not done yet. Some of you got to take that personally into your family, into your business, into your life, and say, I trust him no matter what. It may not turn out the way I draw it up. But can I tell you, his way is not my way. His highways are higher than my ways, greater than my ways. And at the end of the day, he'll get me where he wants me to go. And you know what? I'll be blessed in the process. Sometimes we think we have it rough. But Stephen, <laughs> Stephen got stoned. There was no nice way to put it. He just got taken out. But through his life and death, this catalyst of the church moving forward, it's so incredible. And you know who's blessed by it? You and I today. You and I today. You see, when we let God work through it, he does things that we can't even imagine. When we let God work through it, he does things we can't even dream up. But when we do that, we trust him, and God shows himself faithful to those who obey him. There's a final lesson I want us to get tonight, and then we're going to pray. If we're going to do the work of God, <laughs> we'll keep seeking to win over our enemies our distractors, our doubters. If we're going to continue to do the work of God, we've got to have a reset of how we see people. I didn't expect amens tonight on this point. But listen, not only was Stephen setting them up, just like you did to the prophets, you did to Jesus, you rejected and killed him, but implied by his actions was the understanding that behind the scenes was a God who instead of wiping them out, never stopped loving them and never stopped pursuing them. He loved them even when they were his enemies. And guess what? He loved you and I when we were his enemies. Let's let the train pass. <laughs> Come on, only on my night. That's awesome. Amtrak doesn't come through here, right? I'm waving at boxcars. That's stupid. <laughs> Good time for a little bit of water. How about? Church, listen to me. If the very people that crucified Christ, if they'd rejected God 30 times in their story, it meant that God would 30 times try to come after them and say, I love you too much to walk away from you. I love you too much to let you die in your sin. I love you too much to continue to hate the way you hate. And I'm going to call you to a place. Oh, God had the power to wipe them out. How many know God can just... That's how Satan fell from the heavens. It's like a lightning bolt. He wanted to bring on a war. God said, you want a war? There you go. Done. He has the power, but God does not delight in the death of his enemies. We serve a God who pursues, a God who takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Listen, in this polarized culture we live in, it's difficult sometimes to understand God's love towards those who we judge to be absolutely anti-God. But can I tell you, he loves them and his son died for them. 
We're supposed to love them too. How else will they know? How will they hear unless someone preaches the word? How will they know when someone lives it out in front of them? Ezekiel 33 says this, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they return, that they turn from their ways and live. You see, listen, God doesn't like what the wicked are doing, and he warns them of his judgments. That will come, and oh, trust me, they will come. There will be a day. But until that day arrives, can I tell you, <laughs> he's reaching out to them. He's going after them. He's loving them. The ultimate example we have before us is Jesus who died on the cross for his enemies. Listen, he didn't wait for you to love him for, you to die, for him to die for you. He didn't say, if you show me a little love, I'll, I'll give my life for you. No, he died for us while we were yet his enemies. And I believe this. If we're going to engage this culture, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a reset. It's a, it's a change of mind. If we're going to engage this culture, holding out the truth of the gospel... We cannot give in to the worldly pressures of hating our enemies and demonizing anyone who does not agree with our positions, even though our positions are found in the Word of God. Thank you for the one person that agrees. They might actually change their social media tonight. I'm not sure. We've got to be like Jesus, folks. Oh, we like to put him on our T-shirt, but we've got to live like it. He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. <laughs> Why? Because God would that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Amen. Mic drop right there. He says, you have to understand. You didn't join the club, and now you're in. Lock the door. Keep everybody else out. He said, no, you just signed it for the team that's going to keep going out and going out and going out until everyone has heard of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for your enemies. Do good to them. Listen, we can't engage in this cancel culture. We've got to be men and women of God's grace and God's mercy if we're going to make a dent at all in this culture. <laughs> but can I tell you what's going to happen when we do that? It's going to make a step out of fellowship with many who call themselves Christians but whose lives not line up with it whatsoever. They're going to drop you off their feeds. They're going to whatever, and you're going to think you're being persecuted. No, God's just setting you up to be an example of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember that comment about halftime, Paul? You can adjust tomorrow, I promise. Come back tomorrow to be awesome. Listen, if we're not careful... We are distracted in this season to the point we have forgotten what God saved us to. If we're not careful, we are distracted in this season to where the message of our life has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. There are churches right now whose message have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Oh, they call it freedom, but it has nothing to do with the freedom that is found in the Word of God that says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we wonder why this culture is cynical to the church. I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. I, I want to be with the, what is the Old Testament. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not anybody's political agenda or, or our cultural agenda or any other agenda other than the agenda of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if it's not popular, so be it. Early church wasn't popular. They weren't looking for likes. They were stoned. They were beaten. They were run out. Many lived in poverty. They lived in horrible circumstances. Why? Because this they knew, that that Savior that the world crucified, he rose again on the third day. And he said to them, when you wait, I will fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit, not so you can have good church services. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit, not so you can be an expert on like Revelation or Daniel. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit, not so you can be morally superior than everybody else. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit so you will be my what? witnesses come on somebody witnesses what are you a witness of i used to say show me your bank account i can show you if you love jesus or not now i say show me your social feeds and i can say oh you love jesus or not did i hear crickets that was just no crickets out here oh okay thank you 
I've learned to live in this age of we need to pray twice before we post once, somebody. Our outrage doesn't change anybody for the kingdom of God. Because the people you're outraged at aren't on your feed anyway. And all you're looking for is the echo chamber of the choir saying amen. Doesn't help. Doesn't help. You see, the Israelites over and over rejected God, but God kept coming after them. God did not give up on them. Remember the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, Father, don't hold this sin against them. Can I tell you, you can't be any more my enemy than if you kill me. But the very ones who were killed in the faith, they were the ones who said, Lord, don't hold this against them. I believe this. I believe God's calling us to reset. I believe God's calling us to overcome evil with good, to stand strong in this culture, to not give in to this culture, begin to act like it. When God is done with his work in us, we're not going to be disappointed. Come on. It's like Paul. You can't, you can't threaten me with heaven. He says, you want to kill me? Kill me. But I'd kind of like to hang out a little bit and tell more people about Jesus. But if you kill me, it's okay, because then I'll be with Jesus. You know what? It's a whole lot better up there. You can't threaten us with heaven. We've got to make sure that we're doing the work of the Lord during the season and not the work of Satan on this earth. Yes, we've all experienced a setback. Yes, we're all angry about certain things. Yes, we're all disappointed. Yes, we've all been through some things we did not want to go through. For many, we've been obedient. We've done what we know to do, and we still look back and go, where are you, God? But he's with us. And the setback you may be going through is probably the greatest setup your life has ever experienced. God's not going to call it good always. But he'll work through it if you trust him. There are setbacks that we've all walked in our lives that there's nothing good about it. And only time gives us the perspective of seeing God work through it and in it. But in the midst of it, men and women of faith are able to say, I know what my emotions say, but I know what the Word of God says. And I trust the Word of God over my emotions, and I will stand in this place of obedience, God, and believe you're setting things up for the greatest show of your glory ever in my life and in this, in this generation. My prayer this, this week has been, I've... I've had other preachers doing my encounter, and the whole time I'm thinking about tonight, I'm like, God, you put a message in my heart I've tried to talk you out of three times. About the third time I try and talk God out of something, you ought to stop, amen? And I'm like, really? I got better sermons than this. But this is the one he called me to write for us tonight. And to bring us to a place as the band would come that we would pray and we'd seek God together. He's already confirmed it, and some things have taken place early in this service. But then we would pray, and I'm asking for two things tonight. I'm asking for two groups of people tonight that would stand for prayer. I'm asking, first of all, for a group that says, I'm in the middle of a setback, and I don't know what to do about it. You may be staring over the edge of a business you thought you saved, and here we go again. You may be staring at a health issue that you thought you were immune to, yet you're, here we go again. But I want you to hear something tonight. God wants to encourage you in the middle of what you see as a setback, that it might be a setup for a great outpouring of his spirit in your life. It may be the very thing that leads those family members you've been praying for to get saved when they see God miraculously work in your circumstance. It may be the very thing that those neighbors have always looked at you kind of side-eye when you go off to church on Sunday. When they see you, instead of weeping and cursing God, standing in that place of faith and worship, they will say, you know what? I've heard a lot about faith in generations, but I see it in them. I want to know what they know. And I want to experience what they experience. So in a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask those that maybe you're right in the middle of a setback. Paul, again, thank you for your obedience earlier. It is, it is a tough time for families. There's no doubt about it. Someone asked me the day, they said, Pastor, pray for our nation. We're in a world of mess. I said, we've been in a world of mess since we became a nation. God's still the same God. And he's going to carry out his work for people who look to him and not our nation for their reward.
They didn't like that answer, so I just kept moving. Second group is this. I believe there are people who are fed up, tired, ready to say, I'm willing to stand up and say for my generation, God, I want to be used, God, to make a difference. God, if if that even means repenting and changing some ways of how I've been living, God, I'm going to do that. God, because I love I love the people in my life. I love the people around me. And God, I'm, I'm tired of how everything's shifted against people. And God, I want to stand in that place, say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for people like me and for people like them. And I want to be a witness to that. And I'm going to pray for God's anointing and the power of his Holy Spirit over your life tonight. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to all stand. I can't tell if you're standing or not, so stand. I hear move. Yeah, there we go. And I want to do this. Would you just bow your head with me right now? We're going to pray. Father, tonight, Lord, this is, this is a unique setting, God. Lord, it's a unique day and a unique time, God. Lord, we call it encounter. Because, Father, we know you're a God that's not to be studied, God, but to be known. And Father, we know you when we walk according to your word. Lord, I pray for this gathering tonight, God. God, that I believe are people that are hungry for you, God, that are done with the status quo, God, that are, that are tired of just sitting back trying to figure out what's happening or what's not happening, and, and Lord, are, Lord, are just tired of all the overflow of information, God, would, would rather just say, God, I need you to do a work in me so that others may see you through my life, God. End of the day, bottom line. Father, I know I'm speaking to people right now, God, that, Lord, their circumstances so upside down. God, many of them, Lord, they, they've gotten there through obedience, Lord. They're, they've walked after you. They've done what they've known to do, God. They've, they've, they've followed, God, but they don't understand why am I experiencing this. God, tonight, may they see the setup, God, coming through the setback. God, may they see that, Lord, your plans, your ways, God, of working through them are beyond them, God. But if they'll just hold fast. God, if they'll just stand in that place of obedience, God, if they'll just see you moving, God, then they will live out. God, a miracle, God. They'll live out that testimony, Father. God, I know I'm speaking to people that, Lord, maybe have pushed away from you or never have received you in the first place. God, a lot of people are doing that right now. A lot of people walking away from faith that didn't turn out the way they thought. God, I pray tonight would be the night of their salvation. I believe, pray tonight would be the night of their return, God. I pray the night would be, God, the moment where, God, something wells up inside of them and said, I've tried it my way. God, I'm tired of it. Lord, I give it to you, Father. I release my life into your hands, God. And, Lord, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Father, I can't do it, Lord, but you said you can. So, Father, come into my life tonight. Lord, I pray for those who will return, God. God, I know what it is to drift. God, I think all of us do. God, I pray for return tonight, God, to the truth, the way, the life, God. Father, knowing that in you, God, we have hope, we have freedom, God, we have peace, we have power, God, that this world can't offer. God, only you can. So with heads bowed right now and eyes closed, and again, this is truly only between you and God because I can't see you. But if you're here tonight and you say, Mike, I'm in the middle of something. I'm in the middle of a setback. I'm in the middle of something I don't understand right now. And honestly, it's got me down. It's got me confused. It's got me angry. And if we're honest with ourselves, it might even have us angry toward God. But can I tell you, God's not stopped pursuing you. God's not stopped being near you. God is in you. He is with you. But if that's you tonight... I want you to slip up a hand right where you are and say, God, tonight I'm looking for a, I'm looking for a change, God. God, tonight I'm, I'm looking for that, that set-up moment that this word has talked about, God. God, tonight I'm looking, God, for that turnaround, Lord. God, that will be a witness to others and a witness to you of your glory, God. If that's you, just slip that hand up. I'm going to say thank you because, again, I can't see you. But God knows you. There's others tonight I want to ask you this. Maybe your witness has been a little lacking. Maybe it's 
your attention has been caught up in everything else, but there's something stirring in you in this week of encounter. It started last night with Terry. It started yesterday morning with Pastor Paul speaking about roller coasters. It started because the Holy Spirit's been moving in you. People have been praying for you. And there's something in you that said, God, I, I, I want to stand up. God, I want to stand out, God. And I want to be a witness for you, God, in a greater way than I've ever been before in my life. If that's you, just raise up your hand tonight to God and say, God, I need you. And I need the power of your spirit, God, Lord, to be a witness in this generation. Come on, just raise the hands up right where you are. Father, tonight I pray we respond. God, I pray we step into that place, God, to allow you to minister to us right here and right now. So as the musicians begin to lead us in worship, I'm going to ask for two waves tonight. One, I'm going to ask those who are in the setback. You're just in that place, and, and it's just still you're trying to work your way through it. And can I tell you, sometimes you got to stop trying to work your way through it and give it to God. Let God work in it. But I want you to move up tonight, and we're going to surround you with people of prayer. Then we're going to ask for that second group to follow right behind. If you're ready for God to do something amazing through you, maybe someone you've been praying for to be a witness. We heard that testimony earlier by our brother of the ones that just came up. He led them to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, we clap, but I tell you, all of heaven rejoiced. And I want that to be said of all of us. God, we have been your witnesses, God. Lord, that only you are seen through us, God. That, Lord, when people see us, they don't know us by, by any other affiliation, God. They don't know us by any other group, God. They don't know us by any other way other than they have been with Jesus. And Lord, I pray tonight, God, as we respond to you, Lord, God, we'll be ready for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit with power to be your witnesses. So as the band leads us, would you just come? Pastor Paul, I'm going to give this to you. We're going to be ready to pray. We're going to have some prayer team up here. Let's see God do God's work tonight in us. God bless you.